1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind. Be uh, alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving week. Man, we were talking just before the service. This year feels like it went by so fast. Like, how are we already at Thanksgiving? And I'm glad that we're already at Thanksgiving. I love this week, and I'm looking forward to it. But um, many of you know our, our Thanksgiving week, you know, next week we'll be in here, and it'll be a chance just to share together what we're thankful for. It's a beautiful uh, expression of how the body can encourage one another. So you'll be the sermon next week. And I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, we're still in our First Peter series. And we have a little passage here, uh, just a couple verses. One of my favorite passages in, in First Peter. And really, he kind of takes a turn in this passage. For most of the time, he's been talking about how do we live as elect exiles out in the world? How do we engage uh, with the government, with one another, and marriages, and, and the suffering that happens as Christians in the world? But now he kind of turns it inward and, and asks, what about our life together? How do we um, engage with one another? This is kind of an in-house conversation rather than an external conversation. Uh, and he has some really great things to share. Familiar passage to many of you. Um, I love it, and I want to just walk kind of through it verse by verse, and each one of these postures that we're invited into is really a beautiful expression of, of Christian family. So uh, before we go through it, um, what I want to do is uh, I want to keep this in-house, like how are we together? I, uh, I don't, I don't want to lose sight of the purpose of that for the world, okay? And what I want to say today uh, on the front end is that I think how we are together as the family of God, our relationships with one another, what this community looks like, what the quality of it is, that is actually one of our greatest evangelistic tools to the world. Okay? And what I mean is the way that people come to understand the gospel certainly is through our individual lives as we go out and share and as we live righteous lives out there. But I think maybe even more, and especially in light of the, where the world is today, the better power is not how we engage the world as individuals, but how we are together. What the quality of our fellowship and community with one another is. That that is maybe the bigger um, way that we are salt and light, to use the, the phrase that, that uh, Ryan just used. And I want to remind you some things that Jesus said in the upper room. This is the night before he died. He was with his disciples, and he, he had a, a, one last chance to impress on him uh, what was most on his heart. And what it really was, was how we would love one another so that the world would see that and it would be compelling to them. So let me give you a couple verses. Famously, John 13. This is right after he washed 
the disciples' feet. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And here's, here it is. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Wow. So what will be the defining mark of a follower of Jesus in the world? The fact that they have a really rich love for one another. And then towards the end of uh, that evening, he offers a prayer. And he says this, I pray for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message. So this, here Jesus now actually prays for us, future believers, the church down through the centuries of time. Um, and here's his prayer, that all of them may be one, unity. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Pretty remarkable, right? Your unity together, or I'll say our unity together, our love for one another is one of the most compelling evidences that God sent Jesus and that Jesus really is the Son of God who came to die for the sins of the world and to bring eternal life. It is the quality of our community with one another that is the convincing sign of that. And I think, man, never in my lifetime is that, do we have a better opportunity to do that than in the world that we're living in right now? We are living in a world that is weary uh, and that is, there's so many forces at work. And I want to talk about some forces, some isms today. I want to talk about escapism, individualism, fundamentalism, tribalism, narcissism, a bunch of isms that are leaving people lonely, anxious, isolated, afraid, angry, bitter, resentful. And we have this opportunity to be this compelling alternative community that can be this breath of fresh air for, I think, a thirsty world, a hungry and thirsty world. And I was thinking of a really simple example. And I was just thinking of my own um, experience growing up. So my folks are here, as they always are in, at first service. And um, I have an older brother, so the four of us, we, had, we didn't have a perfect family. Um, but we had a pretty great family. We had two parents who loved love each other, loved us. Uh, we were able to be ourselves. The gospel was very present in our home. And um, growing up, I had all these, these friends that would come through our home. And we, my mom's really, uh, uh, hospitality is one of her gifts. And so um, we'd have so many people over all the time. And a lot of the youth group things that I would do through junior high and high school, a lot of those things would take place in our home. And so I had the opportunity to have so many of my friends through our home. And um, a lot of those friends came from families just like mine. Uh, really generally stable, healthy, loving, gracious places. But some of them did not. Some of them came from uh, broken homes, uh, you know, homes where there, there had been a fracture in the marriage, um, homes where grace was not kind of the flavor of the day, uh, where there was a lot of pressure maybe, or there was a lot of anger. It wasn't a safe space. And so I got the experience over, you know, six years of junior high, and high school of watching um, friends of mine enter into our home and experience something different than what they had at their home. And I would guess many of you have played this same role in uh, those of you who are parents in your kids' friends' lives. Uh, but it was, it was a pretty compelling thing. They could come to a place where they kind of had a second mom who would ask them questions that mom should be asking. You know, there, there was a meal, there was safety, there was fun, uh, there, was, there was 
a, a health to it that was a refreshment, I know, to their thirsty souls. And I think even more compelling than my own life was for some of these friends, I was a Christian growing up, and I hopefully was a decent example, but I think even more compelling than that was their experience of what a Christian home can look like. And I think that really is a simple example of what I think the church can be in the world right now. We've got a lot of broken, thirsty, hungry, isolated, depressed people out there, and we have this opportunity through the quality of our fellowship with one another to offer some, a, a refreshing alternative. And not just for the, for the world, but for ourselves too, because we are also thirsty and hungry and broken, as we'll see in this passage. So that, that's all, all, all way of saying what we do here is really important to the world. We are the body of Christ. We are the, the physical representation of Jesus until he returns. And our, and our fellowship together can be this beautiful thing for the world. Are we in on that? Okay. All right. So what we get in this passage, Paul gives us just four, uh, Paul, I say Paul all the time. I'm so used to preaching Paul. Peter gives us these four postures of Christian communion. I just want to walk through them. They're beautiful. They're simple. Uh, and they're challenging. They're hard. All right. So let's look. Uh, first posture, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Here's the context. The end of all things is near. 2,000 years later, I would still say the end of all things is near. Uh, but we feel that more than ever, right? The, 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 there's a collective sense over the last year and a half of heightened experience about things are building towards something. And what's been so challenging, I think, is we are inundated every day with the amount of information we're, we're having to take in right now, the amount of uh, tragedy and misery that we have to take in, the amount of conflict that we're taking in, what I've been referring to as the glut of unactionable misery, right? We've been, we're just, we're gluttons for all this information that we can't act on. Um, that's not my phrase, it's someone else's phrase. And the temptation in this is to want to escape. And I think we've all felt that this year. The temp this is the first ism. The temptation is towards escapism. This is overwhelming, and um, I just want to escape. I want to check out, and I want to numb out. And the two most common ways available to us to escape are the most common one is through digital escapism. I've talked a lot about that this year, right? I just want to... I just want to sit in front of a screen for three hours and be entertained. I just want to check it. I want to get on my phone, and I want to go down that YouTube trail. I don't have the energy to do anything else, and it's so overwhelming. I just want to escape and numb out in front of a screen. The other option, of course, is through substance, right? It's through alcohol, through pot, through food, through some combination of things that, that um, are the easy thing at the end of the day to go to, to try to numb out and escape. Um, we, we recently watched with our girls the, the Pixar film WALL-E. You guys remember WALL-E? I'm kind of embarrassed. Like last week I gave you like a 20-year-old Band of Brothers reference. Now I'm giving you like WALL-E. I'm, I'm not exactly like hip and with it on the times. Um, it's not great preaching. But um, we just watched it, so it's fresh on my mind. So WALL-E um, is actually a really smart movie. And what happens, it's sort of post-apocalyptic. Um, uh, Earth has been decimated, basically. So the humans have ended, ended up on this big spaceship until the earth kind of, until life comes back. 
And so what they don't know is they've all been, um, they're basically being numbed until they can go back to earth. So everyone sits in front of a screen all day long. You can't see, but they've got their big cans of soda on their, on their right hand. And they're just eating. And they never walk. They never exercise. Because the, the screen tells them what to think and what to believe. And they're happy. And they're numb. And it's just this escapism until life comes back to earth. And ironically, a robot is the thing that kind of wakes them out of their escapism and makes them human again. And they get off the screens. And um, I, I share this image not because it's repulsive, which it is, but I share it because it's tempting. <laughs> like, I, I have said to my wife so many times, I, I just want to watch TV all day. Like, all I want to do these days, I want to come home, I just want to wa- I just want to be entertained. And I just want to escape. And um, we're living in a time where I think more than ever this last year, people are longing for escape. And they're doing that in various ways, but huge percentages of people's time is given to escapism, just to numbing, to distraction with something other than reality. And it does give a form of comfort, but it leaves the soul thirsty and hungry and not satisfied and longing for more. Most of us can personally testify to that. In verse 7, in verse 7, Peter calls us to something else, right? Be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. He actually has the same commandment three times in, in 1 Peter. Be alert, be sober, be alert, be sober. Do not escape, do not check out. Stay awake, stay prayerful. And what I want to say today is we of all people can do that. We can be a community that is watchful, awake, alert, and prayerful because, yes, we do take in all that's happening in the world, but we also get to continue to fix our eyes on the Lord. And that's what we need to do in these times. Continue. Yes, I'm going to take in the information. I'm going to be informed. But I keep my focus on the Lord. And the Lord is on the throne. The Lord is glorious. He's beautiful. And he's at work. And so I can live in the reality of this world, but I can live there with hope. Because my focus is not on all that's going on. My focus is on the Lord. And so I take in this, this information with that focus. And that leaves me with hope. Um, how great was the baptism last Sunday for those of you who got to... Wasn't that awesome? Can we have a yes? Just um, what I think that we, were, we all walked away, not a dry tear out there, right? And what we all walked away with was a sense that God is still at work. Like God is powerful in today's world, not just 2,000 years ago. And he's at work and it fills you with hope. And so we can stay awake we can, we can stay hopeful in the midst of all the stuff without escaping. And I just think, what a gift that we, get to, we can offer to the world right now to be people who are remarkably present, who are not distracted, who are not numbed, but are always present to the reality in front of them, prayerfully, lovingly present. We can give people the gift of, of presence because we have hope and we have a focus, an anchor that's not going to change. So Peter calls us into that. Be watchful. Stay awake. Don't check out. Don't numb out. Be prayerful in your lives. All right, second, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So above all tells us this is the most important command. Uh, And (laughs) a multitude of sins tells us this is a really hard command, (laughs) Right? Multitude of sins, the most ominous phrase in this passage. Um, 
A multitude of sins is what I'm looking at right now as I gaze at these wonderful people in these seats. I'm gazing at a multitude of sins. It's what you're looking at right now as you look at me. And the challenge of Christian community is that uh, if we get close to one another, my sins are going to affect you and your sins are going to affect me um, because my sins are going to leak out in my life. And if you're close to me, uh, you will experience them and I will experience yours. And since there's a lot of us, there's a multitude of sins uh, in any Christian community. Ours is no exception. And... um, You know what, just take a moment, just consider, when was the last time you experienced the sin of someone in this church in a way that hurt? I actually want you to actually get concrete for a second. Um, Try not to use your spouse, that's the easiest one to go after, you know, if you're married, right? I know, it's it's a cop-out. But when was the last time you experienced the sin of someone in this community in a way that hurt? Okay, just bring that to this passage. And Peter says, here's the phrase, love each other deeply, keep pursuing one another proactively because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's an interesting image. Love covers a multitude of sins. I don't think he's saying love denies sin or love pretends sin doesn't exist or love never calls out sin. Certainly he would say other things elsewhere, but he seems to be saying love, this, this proactive pursuit of one another is, is a cover for all this brokenness. It's, um, it's like a comforter that, that covers over the, the brokenness that is our lives. Or maybe another image would be it's, love is the glue. If, if we are broken, sinful, broken pieces, lo- what's going to hold all this brokenness together? And the answer is love. Love's going to, it just puts up with this. It, it keeps engaging in spite of all of these things. I didn't know it till this week. Uh, Gina Carpenter, one of our, our G-Money, we call her, um, here uh, on staff, and we are having our staff studying. She, she goes, that's actually a quote from Proverbs, which I had never known that. And it is. This is Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. So there's a multitude of sins in here. What does hatred want to do? Hatred wants to highlight those sins in each other. Hatred wants to point them out, wants to amplify them and stir things up. Love wants to um, minimize them, if I can use that word. It wants to cover them. It it wants to um, bear with. It wants to put up with. And that's what love does. It just keeps putting up with lots of sin. 1 Corinthians 13, this is the one you hear when you go to weddings. It is not a wedding passage. It's a passage for the Christian community. And here are some of the descriptions of love. But notice how much this is simply about putting up with the sins of one another. Love is patient, right? You just, you're patient. It's kind. It doesn't dishonor. It's not easily angered. Uh, it keeps no record of wrongs. That's the biggest challenge, I think. It protects. It trusts. It hopes, it perseveres, love never fails, okay? It's really not a very romantic view of love. Love puts up with. What, a, what could be more unromantic than that? You know, it's, that's not an inspiring um, message to newlyweds. Put up with each other. Um, bear with one another, right? But that's what love is. It, it, it puts up, it covers, it, it, it's going to just keep going, even in the midst of all of that. 
Um, I remember Karen and I, we did our first year of marriage counseling. We didn't have problems. We were trying to help the counselor. And, um, <laughs> and he said something that um, he quoted from a book uh, that has stuck with me. And he said, every marriage has perpetual problems and solvable problems. Right? I mean, there's going to be dynamics in any relationship that you will carry with you to the day you die. And I hated that when I heard that. I thought, no, not our, right? I still, you know, we, will, we can fix any of the problems we have. And a lot of problems are fixable. Um, but some are not. Some are just dynamics that have to be lovingly engaged. And when it comes to a Christian community, one of the perpetual problems is there will always be a multitude of sins here. That's a perpetual problem. That won't change until we die. And that can be hard to reckon with, but, but love is that, that foundational quality that says, okay, so what? <laughs> we bear. We stick with. We keep leaning in to one another, even when we hurt each other, even when it's hard. And what a witness that is to the world today. Um, I want to talk about the second ism. Um, I want to talk about individualism for a moment. And we are living in a moment of, of fairly rampant uh, individualism uh, in Western society in the last 30 years. And what individualism uh, allows is maximum freedom to pursue your own interests and your own life as you want to define it, right? And freedom's a great thing. We love freedom. Um, but that's what individual, individualism allows us. But there's some real problems with it. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of the, there's a book called Creative Minorities, this little book. Um, and in it, they talk about two kinds of com- ways to pursue a relationship. Do you have covenant community or do you have loose networks? And what they argue is most people in the world now, they pursue loose networks. And you can think of online networks like Facebook, right, or, or LinkedIn. These are, these are networks. And And that's how people are increasingly engaging in relationship. I want to create a bunch of loose networks. I want to know people. I want to be connected loosely. And what that allows for is maximum freedom. I'm connected, uh, but um, I don't have to deal too much with the sin of other people, right? If I just keep the the network loose, and even maybe more, I don't. They don't. They won't get to see my darker sides if I just kind of pop in and out. And so the world, for the most part, is pursuing loose networks. And I think that's a, really, that's a temptation, especially in the American church, that we pursue church as a loose network. And maybe some of you even, that's how you engage in church. I know people who've gone to churches because they don't want to be known at church, right? I want to go somewhere where I can be anonymous, I can pop in, I can hear a, an encouraging, inspiring message, and I can go out. Um, it's not asking too much of me. I'm not having to give much of myself to that. And, and I'm not going to be held accountable either. And that's a really tempting way to pursue church. But what we're being called into is something radically different than that, which is covenant community. That we are in a, like a marriage, we, we are in a, in a covenant together. We stick with each other. We put up with each other through thick and thin. That's what love does. Love is just, just proactive, continuing to, to want the best in each other, to move towards the best in each other even in the midst of the challenge. And again, that, that loose network idea, it looks good on paper, but it leaves people lonely. It leaves people never being fully known. It's, it's like the constant bachelor who never wants to marry because he just wants to play the field forever. And that looks romantic and cool in your 20s, but by the time you're in your 50s, that starts to not look so great. Right? That is not a full, flourishing life. And we're called into this covenant with one another 
in the midst of our sin. And love, of course, the spirit ultimately is the glue, but love is the glue that makes that happen. And so we need to love deeply. And that, man, Jesus says, this is the, that's the quality, right? By this, all people will know. It's, it's your love. That's how the world will know. And what a refreshing alternative for a person to come in here and go, these people stick with each other when they're having fun, but they stick with each other when it's hard. That is not something I see in my relationships. I want that. I need that. I want to be known. Some people won't want that, obviously. But that's what we want to offer, and that's a beautiful thing to offer. Okay, so awake and sober, love one another deeply, two down, two to go. You're with me? Yeah? Okay. Number nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) So hospitality, um, that word, the Greek word literally means love of stranger. So we know like Philadelphia is love of brother. This is Phila stranger, love of stranger, okay? It's actually, Z, Z, I'll give it to you. If you're a xenophobe, you're phobic of strangers. You, if you're a Phila Zena, you love strangers, okay? This is love of stranger. Um, great Greek lesson for the day. Um, I mispronounced it all, but I sold it and you believed it, so we're in. Um, sorry, as an aside, that's what I tell people when they're reading scripture and like they have to read like a like a town, like an ancient town, or like, like what, what I, say, I say, I literally every time I'm like, nobody knows. Just sell it and we'll buy it. We'll go with it. So, um, true story. Uh, anyways, um, so original context, love of stranger. The, here's the picture, right? A, a, a stranger is passing through town. Ancient society coming through town. Uh, and so what, what do you want to do? You, you want to practice hospitality, which is essentially making room for the stranger. Right? You open your house, you open, you create room at your table, you give them a place to sleep. And that, I mean, hospitality was that's like a hallmark of ancient Near Eastern culture, right? You are hospitable. This is what we do. Love of stranger. What's interesting here is Peter is saying, offer love of stranger to one another. Offer hospitality to for one Make room for one another. Certainly make room in your homes, right? Make room at your table for one another. But more than that, I think he's saying it, make room in your hearts. Make room in your lives. Make room um, in, in your time. Create space for one another. And I'll just say, of all four, this one might be the most challenging one that we face as a church in this current COVID moment. Hospitality. Can we continue to make room for one another in the midst of our differences, of opinion, thoughts, convictions. This is, I think, the the great challenge facing the American church. Can we continue to offer hospitality to one another or not? So, third force, third ism that's in the air. Actually, this can be third and fourth ism. We're living in a moment where there is a new rise of what I would call fundamentalism, okay? Um, And let me just tease that out for a second. Most of us most of us in the room, we think of fundamentalism. We think of something that was happening mid-20th century, and we think of a very conservative, uh, religious environment, fundamentalists, people who say, right, no, no alcohol, no playing with cards, um, no sex because it might lead to dancing, you know, that kind of thing, right? Like, it's, it's this very conservative environment. Yeah, you got it. Those, those old Christian college people got that one. Um, that was, that's, that's when, when you hear fundamentalism, that's what you hear, um, 
But what fundamentalism actually is, it's not about a particular view. Fundamentalism is about how you hold a view, okay? Whatever that view might be. Fundamentalism is about a rigidity in how you hold. It's an unwillingness to listen. It's an unwillingness to consider the other side thoughtfully. Uh, it's to, to live in sweeping generalizations uh, and have this dogmatic entrenchment in a view. And then what, what usually comes with fundamentalism is tribalism, which then you, you kind of separate the world into an us and them, right? Clean and unclean, good, bad, righteous, unrighteous. Okay? The Pharisees, of course, were the original fundamentalists. But I am seeing in our country, we've talked about this, the, a, a new rise of fundamentalism like I've never seen. And, it, and it's happening on all sides of the kind of social, political spectrum. But, you know, who you voted for, right? Um, whether you're vaccinated or not. Whether you had a BLM sign on your Facebook page, right? All of these things, okay, I could give, you know, a million others. Um, these are things we used to be able to disagree on. And, and we're living in a world where there's a fundamentalism, a tribalism, where we can no longer disagree on these things. These things are being religiousized, I would put it, held with a, a religious devotion um, that is fundamentalistic in, in the way we carry it. And um, that's making it very hard to make room, to have hospitality to one another. And so we're seeing this happen, at, of course, in the world at large, but we're seeing it happen in our churches and this idea of love of strangers, we are, we're becoming strangers to one another within our own churches. There's tribes, right, that are happening in churches. And, of course, what's mo mainly happening, this tribe will just leave this church and find a church that's more, you know, in line with this tribe. I'm not saying these issues aren't really important, okay? They, they are critically and really important. But how we go about them, do we have hospitality? Can we make room for one another? And I think the church, again, has this remarkable opportunity to provide a refreshing alternative to the world where we do come together around central things, okay? We believe in the authority of Scripture. That's central to our faith. We believe in the story of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, the need for confession, repentance, and faith, the second coming of Jesus. There are some fundamentals that as Christians we say these we're going to hold to. This is where our unity stands, but we have to find a way to give one another freedom of conscience on disputable matters, right? That's really hard to do. But that's, I think, one of the primary challenges facing the church into this new year. And what a beautiful thing it would be for people who are experiencing what's happened in the world, all, all the, the tribalism, the fundamentalism on all sides, to be able to step into a place like this, watch two Christians sing songs together, the same songs together, go out on the patio and have a really spirited debate about some current issue, disagree, argue, get animated, right, passionately disagree, listen to one another, make room for one another, end up maybe still disagreeing, maybe change a little bit, and then go out to lunch afterwards and talk about football, right? Like that, that I think is what I think, again, the central things are, must stay central, but that is one of the challenges facing the church. How do we continue to make room? And, and Peter's saying, obviously, he's not thinking about 21st century American culture, but he's saying, you've got to have hospitality. You've got to make room for one another. Um, really important for us. And then finally, number four, our gifts. Let me read to you, um, I'll read verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, this is my favorite passage on spiritual gifts. Uh, it's the shortest passage uh, on spiritual gifts. It is incredibly succinct and yet quite comprehensive. Uh, and here's what he's saying. When he's talking about the Christian community. He's first of all reminding us, you're a very gifted community, right? He says, each of you, not some of you, but each of you has gifts. Each of you is gifted. Each of you has something to contribute to the whole. And we had an all-day elder retreat yesterday. And we just, a lot of time in prayer and um, thinking about our community and thinking over the last year. And one of the main things that emerged is this feeling that, the phrase that came up, we have an embarrassment of riches in this community. And the riches are you guys. Meaning, we have such amazing people at our church. I mean, there's just such quality, mature, healthy, gifted people in this church. And I, I, we've seen through COVID, even we've received more gifted people in this church. And we are just really stunned by that. And, and we thought, moving into the new year, one of the things we want to figure out how to do more and more is just kind of unleash you, <laughs> um, encourage you, commission you to use your gifts, because we're just a it's, it's an embarrassment of riches that we have in the people that are this church. And Peter is saying that here, like, the church is a gifted community. God has gifted you. And the, the, to sum up the biblical view of spiritual gifts, you see it there in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, right? Your gifts, whatever they are, are not about you. Your gifts aren't for you. Your gifts are for us, Right? You've received these gifts. You didn't earn them. You've received them, and you're to use them to serve others, right? That's the idea. And then here's my favorite phrase about spiritual gifts in the Bible. End of verse 10. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay? Just let that sink in. As faithful stewards of God's grace. So your gifts aren't yours. You're stewards your managers of them. And what they are, they are forms of God's grace given to this community. So here's an image of my backyard. And um, we've been, I've been using this, um, this image of God's grace for the last year as a waterfall, right? God is constantly pouring out his grace on this community in so many different ways. But one of the ways, one of the primary ways he pours out his grace is through the gifts of you all. So imagine your gifts are like some of those individual channels of this water uh, coming. God is constantly pouring out his, his gifts, but you are stewards of that grace in its various forms. His grace comes to us through you and your giftedness. Pretty amazing. So um, like for instance, let's give you examples. Um, I might be really down. I might be really discouraged. And God is longing to give me his grace. And the way he does that is he sends you to me because you have the gift of encouragement. And we have a conversation, and I walk away from that conversation feeling encouraged again. God's grace came to me through the gift of encouragement that you have. Um, I might be in dire straits. I might have many practical needs. I might be, um, you know, all sorts of issues. And, and God wants to bless me with his grace. And he sends me you because you have the gift of mercy. You have the gift of generosity. And you step in and you, you activate people to kind of rally around me to help with some of my practical needs. Or I might be wandering. I might be checking out. I might be wandering from the faith. And God wants to send me his grace through some hard truth spoken to me. And so he sends me you 
because you have the gift of exhortation. Right? You have the ability to speak hard truths in ways that people can hear and receive. And so I get to experience God's grace through, through your gift of um, exhortation. All that to say, God's grace is being poured out in this community through the gifts of one another. So look at, look at um, verse 11. Two types of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. Wow. So if, if you're an encourager, if you're a teacher, if you're an exhorter, you get to come alongside people in this community and go, what, what, God, what would you want to say to this person? Like prayerfully, what would you want to speak into their lives? What encouragement, what truth, what comfort? I get to speak the very words of God as best I can, right? Uh, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So I'm going to step in in some practical way. Lord, I want to depend on you so that it's obvious that this is coming from, from you and not me. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever, right? We're working together, but all we're doing is stewarding God's grace to one another so that he's getting all the glory for what has been happening as we serve one another using our gifts. Really beautiful picture of Christian community. So I'll, I'll, I want to take you now to the last ism of the day as I think about this picture of, of our gifts exist for the body. The body is building itself up in love, right, as each part does its work. And I want to talk about uh, another ism, and it is narcissism. Uh, and narcissism is, is rampant in our culture uh, today, unlike any other. So um, recently we took our girls to Knott's Berry Farm which we love knots. Um, our girls have never been to Disneyland. We're trying to, to delay that as long as we can. We love Disneyland. It just costs a little more than knots. So it um, turns out. Um, but um, so we took the knots, and my oldest, Adele, uh, who's 10, uh, she and I got to go on a ride. We got to go on Silver Bullet together because she's four foot four, and she can get on the Silver Bullet. Cora can't yet. And we're waiting in line. And um, so this is narcissism is the context here. And these two... Um, I would say 14-year-old girls are in line right behind us. And they're full crop top, you know, a lot of belly showing, the whole deal. And so I'm always, okay, I've got this 10-year-old, and how, what do I, how do I deal with this? And I usually try to go, hey, let's look over here, Adele, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm a fundamentalist, so I'm sorry. Um, uh, and one of the girls uh, goes over, and she's going to take a selfie of herself, right? She goes out of line, uh, and... It's amazing. You couldn't, like, put it in a movie any better. Literally, it's like there's the lifting of the heel. There's the, there's the you know, the parting of the hair. And there's a lip. I mean, there's a lot going on. And there's a shot. And I'm thinking, um, I can't believe people do this in front of other people. Like, <laughs> like, I get it in the mirror before you go to work in the morning or something like that. But, and I was tempted to say, to avert Dell. And I actually, in the moment, I'm like, this is great. And I said, Dell. Watch this. Will you watch this? Watch this whole thing. Observe what's happening. What do you think about that? And so she's still young enough where that, that didn't feel super compelling to her. Like she can see, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. Like that's so, um, that seems really funny, Daddy. You know, that seems really, really interesting. And um, th that is where we are right now as a culture, right? There's, there's a kind of narcissism that is promoted in ways that like 40 years ago, like, you can't do that in public. That would, be, that would be embarrassing. And it's just sort of commonplace now. And that, there's a temptation to do that, I think, with our giftedness, right? To, to use our gifts to, for self-glorification, for 
um, self-gratification. And um, a couple months ago, Todd Pickett taught, and he talked about, you know, you grow up and, and you have certain gifts, and you kind of, you, you just ride on those gifts, right? Like, as a, kid, as a boy, you're good at a sport, let's say, or whatever it is, and you're like, this is the thing that's going to carry me through high school. Like, this is the thing that's going to, I need something. It's hard to grow up in this world. And, and so th- this becomes my source of identity, and this is the thing that kind of defines who I am and, and all of that. And that's very understandable and natural. But then these, these gifts that we have can get really attached with ourselves in ways that are really unhelpful. Um, one of the things I love is, um, like, having a friend who I've known for years and then discovering some secret gift that they have that I didn't know they had, like, you know, like, you can do backflip. I never knew you could do a, you know, backflip. You have nunchuck skills. Like, when did you, how did I not know this, right? You speak Italian, you know, what, whatever it is I love. Usually it happens when you're on a trip with someone. And it's like, that's so cool. And, um, but what I, I was thinking this week, I love when someone discovers some hidden gift that I have <laughs> that they didn't know. And like, I didn't know you could do that. And even as a 45-year-old, I realized that still triggers, like, identity stuff. Like, I love that that just happened. And so there's still a lot of, it's just self. It's, there's a lot of identity and self-glorification in it. And it's so tempting to our flesh. But in the end, it's such like a small world. Like, the selfie world is so small. It's like, you just went to the Grand Canyon and you're taking a picture of yourself? Like, <laughs> Really? Like, there's no background. It's just you. Like, really? Like, what a small... I get we want to take pictures of ourselves in cool places. That's fine. But, like, right, what a small world. And I, and I do think that there's a lot of people in the world that that's the message. But it's kind of a small world, narcissism. It's a very small world. And what, what I at least see Peter trying to do here is he's lifting our eyes up to... A, there's a larger world. And he's, he's giving us an imagination for something bigger. Like, you actually, your gifts really aren't about you. Um, they're about the body and they're about God. But what a beautiful thing. You can be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. We're not constantly reflecting back on how does this reflect on me, that that just selfie, narcissistic game that you play. You, you don't have to do that. Like, there's a bigger thing. You can be about the fruitfulness in other people's lives. You can watch God's kingdom advance. You can see you actually get to encourage other people in their walk with Jesus. And I really do think there's a lot of people out there who are hungry for something much bigger than themselves. Even though there's this message that's saying, you be you, you do your thing, I think their hearts are are longing for something bigger. And the body of Christ can be that thing that is so much bigger, right? Like this is, I'm a part of this massive family, and I get to see God work in ways that are so beyond me, but I get to play my own little part, and that's, that's, a, beautiful, that's a beautiful gift. And so I want, I want to encourage you, as I kind of finish off this fourth one, to be considering, how can I use my gifts in this community? And that's going to be a long conversation. How can, I, how can I serve this community? Many of you do that so beautifully, and you're all in on that. There's nothing that needs to change. Um, so in that context, I have um, a shameless plug, which is this is my um, request. So I was thinking as, as we're talking about the body building itself up and serving one another, I asked the, the staff leadership on Tuesday, said, I would love to hear, what are your needs? What are the needs in your various ministries? Because I'm going to be talking about serving the body today. And would you just 
I think it'd be great for people to know very tangibly some of our needs. And let me just set this in context. This doesn't come close to describing what this just said, okay? Um, You using your gifts for the body is so much bigger. These are like really unromantic, very simple needs that are not going to be the all-encompassing answer to most of yours, how do I serve this church? Most of you, this will not be your answer. That being said, as we kind of still move out of COVID and get a fully orbed like Sunday service going again, we have holes and gaps and, and various ministries that are really tangible. So I would, I would say this is for those of you who have made this your home church and you currently have no outlet for service here. Like, I want to serve this church. I just don't know what it is. Um, and, but you want something tangible. This would be, I'd say, we have needs. Uh, and a, a famous wise man once said, you do not have because you do not ask. Um, so there's some real tangible asks. And, and you know, the, the commitment to these can range from, you know, you'll see some are once every couple months to weekly commitments. But um, we wanted to be really clear on needs that we have as we roll into the new year so that some of you would say, yeah, I'd love to just dive in and do that. All right, that was a lot. Christian family, body of Christ together. Um, we have this opportunity to offer this really refreshing alternative to the world. And I'm gonna, I want to leave you with um, the early church in Acts 2. And this beautiful thing kind of erupted in Jerusalem as the, as the the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, and this community formed. And I just want to leave you with this picture and the effect that it had on the world, and then we'll pray. Look at this beautiful description. Again, this isn't like every church is going to be like this throughout the centuries, but it's a beautiful picture of what God did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And look at the impact of that community. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This beautiful, broken community that continued to bring people in. We get, have an opportunity in our own small way here at Grace to do that too. Let's pray. Let's do this. Rather than me praying, I want to just create a little space for you. And um, we've talked about four postures, being awake and sober, um, loving in the midst of sins, offering hospitality, and using our gifts to serve. And why don't we just take a moment together to consider that, that those postures in this passage and maybe ask God, God, is there one of these that you really want me to lean into right now. Maybe your heart is kind of moved and stirred or convicted maybe um, by one of those. Probably can't do all four at the same time in your life. But maybe there's one that you say, yes, this is my time to more intentionally pursue that. And so just want to take a moment with the Lord and um, identify that and see if he wants you to Make some changes in that area, and then we'll sing.